Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled "The Bible," from our series "You're So Basic." If you have your Bible, Second Timothy chapter three, we're continuing our series on the basics of the Christian life, and we're, so we're going to be talking about today. The title of the series is "You're So Basic," and we're talking about the basics of the Christian life today. If you have your Bible, Second Timothy three is where we're going to be looking. In biology, you learned early on that there are building blocks to life. And some of those building blocks are things like nutrition and oxygen and water and sunlight, right? Those things must come together for there to be the sustenance of life. And so that's true. In the spiritual life, in the Christian life, there is nothing more basic to us than the Bible, the Word of God. It is basic sustenance for us on our Christian journey. And I want to talk about it today, the Bible. One of the basics of the Christian life is having our heart and mind settled in the Word of God. Pastor, why is the Bible so important? Well, there are lots of reasons. The Bible tells us that we were born again by the agency of the Word of God. In 1 Peter, he tells us that. He said, for you were born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. He says, through the living and enduring word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he goes on to say, not only were you born again by the word, but you grow as a Christian by the word. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he goes on to say, like newborn babes, you should crave the pure or sincere milk of the word of God so that you may grow by it in your salvation now that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In the book of Hebrews chapter 5, the Hebrews writer says not only are we born again and do we begin to grow at the beginning of our Christian life by the word of God, Hebrews 5 says we become mature Christians by growing up in the word of God and moving on from those who know a little to those who understand the deep truths of God's word. We move from the milk to the meat of God's word. Hebrews 5 says it this way. He writes and says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. When Paul writes to Timothy, he tells him one of his most important responsibilities as pastor of the church at Ephesus is he will be guarded with the responsibility to keep his heart and his mind anchored in the word of God to know the truth for himself and then to make sure his people live within the boundaries of right teaching and right doctrine and that's what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 14 I want you to read it aloud with me if you will read our text together hear the word of the Lord let's see it together but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And may God's people say, Amen. Amen. If you've been around church for long at all, you know the major emphasis that we put as preachers and teachers on the Word of God, on the Bible, and taking that into our lives. And if there's ever been a time where that is vitally important, it is the day you and I live in right now. When you look at the world around us, you realize just how badly things can get in people's lives when they don't have an intake of God's Word. During the season of COVID and dealing with all that we've been dealing with, many of our churches, at least for a season or two had to step back from in-person gatherings and be online only. And during that time, what's even more amazing is to hear the reports of how many Christians say that they did not interact at all with their church or any other church during that gap that they were home. They didn't log in online. They didn't watch their live stream services. They didn't find a pastor on television who was teaching God's Word and keep up that way. They weren't doing anything really to engage with God's Word. It also shouldn't surprise us when we look at our culture right now and as this pandemic has gone on longer and longer, not only are we seeing cases of physical sickness, we're seeing other things happen around us. We're watching people who are 
are struggling, the numbers for depression are up. The numbers for alcoholism are up. The numbers for divorce and, and abuse in homes, that, those numbers are climbing. Numbers of suicide rates, those numbers have bumped up in our country in the last few weeks and months. We are not only struggling with our physical health, although we are, it is very real, we're also struggling with our mental, emotional, and spiritual health during this season. This is a rough patch for everybody in more than one way. And I want to tell you that one of the things that we can do spiritually to make sure that we are staying strong in the Lord and we're keeping our feet under us spiritually is to have a steady intake of God's Word. To have a steady intake of God's Word. That's why we are doing our best with some common sense protocols in place to keep us physically safe, to gather again on campus, in growth groups, in classrooms, to be able to gather around God's Word because our physical health is very important and so is our mental, spiritual, and emotional health. And all of those things go together because we are an integrated human being, body, mind, and spirit. And all of those need to be taken care of. Well, we turn to God's Word for our spiritual health because God God's Word is a powerful gift that He's given us to keep us strong and healthy spiritually. And I think when you understand what the Bible says about itself and what God's Word really does for us, you'll see why it is so important. We believe so strongly in people interacting and engaging and receiving from God's Word because the Bible is a powerful force for transformation in our hearts and lives. The Bible is like no other book that exists. The Bible is not a dead, dry, dusty old book. It is living and active. It is powerful. It is the very Word of God. The Bible says it is sharper than a two-edged sword and it divides asunder soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's Word is living and active, the writer of Hebrews says, and it will help us grow up in our Christian faith. Why is the Bible such a big deal? Well, because we're not about information. We're about transformation. Amen? That's our goal, and nothing changes us more than the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit takes God's Word and transforms us and renews our mind and forms us into what we ought to be. Why is the Bible so important? Let me give you several reasons this morning before we leave. Number one, the Bible is the record of God's revelation. Say that with me. It is the record of God's revelation. You hold in your lap today, whether in print or on your phone, whichever way you're looking at it, you hold the Word of God. This is not just a human book. This is not just a book written by men years ago. This is a book that was breathed out and inspired by God himself. I know the world we live in is drowning in moral relativism. We live in a culture that often doesn't believe in truth anymore. We would argue, people would say today, they use the phrase, my truth. When you present them with moral truth or God's word, they'll say, well, that's true for you, but it isn't true for me. And they would argue about that. And they would say, no, it's not. It's, I want to talk about my truth, what's true for me. Well, I want to tell you, friend, it really doesn't matter about my truth or your truth. What only matters at the end of the day is the truth. Is it true truth or not? And the way we discern truth from error is the word of God. Amen? Because the Bible is the record of God's revelation of himself to human beings. The Bible is that. I love this today. God's word is precious because God's not left us in the dark. We're not adrift on the open sea. God has broken into our world from the outside. We know what is true and what is not. We know what is right and what is wrong. We know what is reality and what is fantasy because God who created this world by his word has broken into this world from the outside and made himself known to us. He ultimately did that through the people of Israel and he revealed his character to them at Sinai with the Ten Commandments by delivering them from Egypt and making them his people. He revealed himself through their history in the Old Testament. The highest revelation of God came when God wrapped himself in human skin and was born of a virgin girl named Mary and walked among us as God in the flesh, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he lived among us and showed us what God was really like. 
The Bible says in Hebrews, God at many times in various ways and places spoke to us of times of old through the prophets, but he has now spoken to us in these last days through his Son, whom he made heir of all things. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. So we have the revelation of God through his Son, but God didn't stop there. God, when Jesus went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came on his apostles, and the apostles moved by God wrote down the gospels and the epistles and the book of Revelation and they gave us God's revelation of himself to us and we have in our hands today the reliable record of God's revelation. Say amen. The Bible tells us in our text this morning we have a reliable, trustworthy record. Verse 16 says all scripture. Say all scripture. All of it, from the front to the back. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word inspiration is a key word in this passage today. When we think of inspiration, we often think of something that makes us feel better, right? We hear a song and we say, oh, that was inspiring. Or we watch a Hallmark movie and we say, oh, that was inspirational, right? No, we hear a poem and we say, oh, that was inspired. Or we look at a painting or hear a piece of music and we use the word inspiration in that way. Some of you have inspirational calendars that have little quotes and sayings on them that are to encourage you during the day. That is not what the Bible means, however, by this word inspiration. When the Bible uses the word inspiration, it's a very special word. The Greek word, it tells us a little bit more about it. It is theonoustos. And theo means God. That's where we get theo, theology, the study of God. Neustos, that N-E-U prefix is spirit or wind or breath. The idea when you put these together is God breathed. God breathed out. God's spirit spoke out these words. The word of God is God breathed. That's what the Bible claims for itself, that the word of God is breathed out by God. God is holy, so his word is holy. God is true, so his word is true. God is alive, so his word is living and active. God's word is what it says it is. I'm glad to be part of the church of God. The first principle in the church of God is the whole Bible rightly divided, the New Testament as our only rule of faith and practice. The first tenet of our declaration of faith says we believe in the verbal inspiration of the Bible. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. The very words were breathed out by God Himself. That doesn't mean it didn't have human writers. Of course it did. But what it means is this. The Holy Spirit came on those men who wrote God's Word and He influenced them in such a way that what they wrote was the very Word of God. Did it come through their personality? Yes, it did. Does Luke read like Matthew? No, he doesn't. Does John sound like Paul? Absolutely not. Each writer speaks with his own voice from his own personality and his own vantage point. And yet, although the Bible has many writers, the Bible has only one author, and that is God the Holy Spirit who came down upon these men so that what they recorded was the very Word of God. And it has been, it has been perfectly recorded, and it has been amazingly kept for us down through the years. When you study the accuracy of the Word of God, we keep finding older and older and older manuscripts of the Bible and pieces of the Bible. And the older the manuscripts we find, the more copies of God's Word that we find from ancient times, the more they confirm to us that the Bible we hold in our hand is accurate. It's accurate. It's right. It's, when you find even changes in biblical documents, they'll update the spelling of a place name or they'll update some minor note, but there's no thing that we found that has any impact on any Bible doctrine. Why? Because God not only inspired His Word, God preserved His Word so that what you and I have in the Bible is an accurate reflection, a, a reliable record of the revelation of God. Say it's accurate. It's accurate today. It is our record of God's revelation. Number two, it is an instrument of navigation. God gave us his word so that we would not be adrift in the world that we live in. We have a road map. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. 
God's Word is a road map. It's a compass. It's the north star that we can navigate our lives by. It's a flashlight on a dark night. Amen? God's Word will provide us the information we need to make good decisions in life. Number one, it's a pathway of principles. Say principles. God's Word has commandments in it. It has laws and rules that we are to obey. And the reason God gives us His principles is so that we won't make a wreck out of our lives. Whenever God puts a boundary around something in His Word, it's not because He's a spoil sport trying to rob you of fun. God's not trying to keep you out of anything that is good for you. On the contrary, God is putting boundaries in place to keep you out of things that are bad for you. The commandments and principles of God's Word that we're to live by are not fences to keep us out of anything good. They're guardrails to keep us from driving off the cliff into destruction. And so God's commands are just that. Whenever you read the Old Testament, the Hebrew uh, word is Torah, the law of God. We call it law. But the Hebrews didn't translate that word law. They translated the word instruction. The way they understood God's word was this. Out of all the people on the planet who were making a wreck out of their lives, God loved us enough to share the instruction manual on the human life. And if you'll operate by the principles of this book, your life will be blessed and not cursed, and things will go well for you and not badly for you because you're operating according to the instructions. It's a pathway of principles. There are many commands in God's Word, and we would heed them if we would be blessed. Amen? It's a pathway of principles. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. God's Word is a blessing to us if we will obey it. Even though there are things in our lives the Bible doesn't directly address, the Bible will teach us wise ways of living that will suit us in every generation. People often ask, Pastor, does the Bible address this or that? Does the Bible talk about the Internet? Does the Bible talk about uh, this problem in our society? Sometimes, sometimes not. But even when the Bible doesn't give us a clear principle or a command about something, what the Bible does give us is it gives us wisdom. Say wisdom. Wisdom is what my daddy called horse sense. It's just good old-fashioned common sense. It's this ability to use your sanctified reason that has been informed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God to make decisions when there is no clear-cut principle to go by. When there is no command of God telling you do this, not that, how do you make a decision? The answer is wisdom. You lean into the principles you know and you allow what you do know to be true to inform you to make a very good, wise choice. Proverbs 4 says, Hear my son and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. If we will hold on to wisdom, God will give us principles to guide us into making good decisions that keep us from doing great damage to our life. It's a record of revelation. It's an instrument of navigation. Number three, it is a mirror for examination. One of my favorite cartoon comic strips has always been Peanuts. I love Charlie Brown. Some people don't appreciate him like I do, but I love Charlie Brown. I love the peanut strip. I love the shows. I can't wait every year for the Christmas one to come out. I'll sit and wait and watch for that. But Charlie Brown is my hero. I love him. He has a great outlook, doesn't he? In one of the episodes, Sally is sitting there, and she's been to Sunday school, and she's trying to remember her Bible verse that she learned in Sunday school, and she can't seem to recall it. And Charlie Brown says, well, maybe it's in this book or that, and she just can't come up. And she says, I know. I think maybe it's in the book of reevaluations." <laughs> Now, Sally never did find her Bible verse that week, but she was right about one thing. Whenever we come to the Word of God, it is a book of reevaluation. It ought to make us reevaluate our attitudes and our actions. It ought to make us examine our lives. God's Word is a mirror for examination. Say it's a mirror. 
It's a mirror. James 1 tells us this. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like, what kind of man he was. This is the danger. When we read God's word and, and we aren't really focusing on our own hearts, then it just bounces off of us. It's amazing to me how many times I've preached a sermon and had someone shout me down and I wanted to point and say, sit down, I'm talking about you. <laughs> it's amazing how we can hear God's word for everyone else, but sometimes we struggle to hear God's voice addressing us, isn't it? That's the wonderful thing about a mirror. Most of us cannot resist looking in the mirror. And few of us can resist fixing something once we have, right? Whenever you look in the mirror, it shows you the truth, the naked truth, sometimes the ugly truth. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> but it shows us the truth. What it shows us is accurate about ourselves. And when we look into God's Word, we see ourselves reflected in the mirror. And what we're supposed to do in that moment is we're supposed to fix something that we see. Whenever you pass the mirror, you adjust your collar or you move your hair, you straighten your jacket. Something always changes whenever you pass by the mirror. You notice something about yourself that needs to be addressed. This is the way we ought to read God's Word. We ought to be holding it up and the whole time we ought to be adjusting stuff. Why? Because we're reading it and we're seeing ourselves it reflected back to us accurately and truly. And it always needs addressing. Gypsy Smith was a great old preacher, man of God from yesteryear. And he talked with a man who said, I've read the Bible through, I've gone through it several times and I've received no inspiration at all. And Gypsy Smith said, let it go through you one time and you'll sing a different song. The point is not to go through the Bible. The point is to let the Bible go through us. We don't read the Bible to find fault with our neighbor. When we come to the Bible, we sing the words of the old spiritual, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. We come to the Scripture never as the teacher, always as the student, sitting down before God's Word saying, speak to me, O oh Lord. Let the book live to me. I love that. John Wesley used to sit down every night at the end of the day and he would go over 21 questions that he asked himself to see how he was doing spiritually that day. I won't read them all. If I did, I'd have to give the altar call right here and I've got a couple more things to say. <laughs> I, I can't imagine doing this every night because you might not sleep well at night if you did this every night. But Wesley would step up every night and he would read over his list and he would ask himself questions like this. He would say, Do I con did I confidently pass on to somebody else what was shared with me in confidence today? Am I a trustworthy person? Am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? He would ask, did the Bible live in me today? Did I give the Bible a chance to speak to me today? Am I enjoying prayer? When's the last time I spoke to someone else about my Christian faith? Did I pray about the way I spend my money today? Ooh, he's meddling now, isn't he? Hmm. Did I disobey God in anything? Did I insist on doing anything about which my conscience was uneasy? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? How did I spend my spare time today? Was it a way that honored God? Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold resentment toward, or disregard? And if so, what am I going to do about it? Do I grumble or complain constantly? Hmm, it's quiet in the holiness church now, isn't it? That was a holiness man. And he was asking God to search him. The prayer of David in Psalm 139, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my way. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God's word, if we'll allow it, will search us and go through us. Amen? Amen. As, as Hudson Pope once penned, make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me yourself within your word. Show me myself and show me my Savior and let the book live to me, O Lord, for Jesus' sake. God's word is a record of revelation. It's an instrument for navigation. It's a mirror for examination. Number four, it is a weapon against temptation. Say it's a weapon. 
God's Word is a sword. We've said that a couple times already. The Bible tells us that if we want to live a life that overcomes sin, if we want to live a life that conquers temptation, we must have God's Word hidden in our hearts. Psalm 119 says it a couple ways. Number one, he said, how can a young man keep his way clean? How can you keep your life pure? Here's the answer. By taking heed according to your word. He said, with my whole heart I have sought you. O oh Lord, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 9 to 11. When we read God's word and we hide it in our heart, we have a weapon against temptation. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it was God's word that he used to strike back at the head of the evil one. Now, Jesus didn't have the scrolls of the Old Testament with him in the desert. He didn't have time to go and find the place in his Bible where that Bible verse was written down. No, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he already had God's Word hidden in his heart. He had already written God's Word on the tablets of his heart. So even though he was away from his his pen and ink Bible, he was able to pull up God's word in his heart and mind and use God's word as a stick to put on the devil's head. So when the devil tempted him, he would respond, it is written. What does it is written mean? It means the Bible says. He was quoting the Old Testament and he would say with every temptation, no, the Bible says. No, God's word says. No, it's written in the prophets. He was answering back the word of God. Jesus promised us that when he went to heaven, he'd send the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would bring to our remembrance what we had heard from Jesus. God's Holy Spirit will remind you of the Bible you've hidden in your heart. God's Holy Spirit will bring back up in your memory the Word of God that you've written in your heart by hiding it there and memorizing it. But listen, the Bible says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Whenever we face temptation, whenever we're in a battle with the evil one, what we need is for the Spirit of God to be able to reach down in our heart and pull up some portion of God's word that is helpful to us in that situation. But the Holy Spirit can only bring up what you put in. He can only remind you of what you learned. He can only pull up in memory what you put into your memory. And many of us, we get in a battle with the devil and the Holy Spirit searches our heart to help us by bringing God's word up in our heart and all we've got is a John 3.16 and a Jesus wept. And that won't get you very far in your fight with the evil one. So we hide God's word in our heart so the Holy Spirit has something to work with whenever we face the battle with the devil. And the word of God written in our heart and our mind will help us fight temptation. God's word helps us. It reminds us of what God has prohibited, where the boundary lines are. It also reminds us of what God has provided. The Bible tells us in every temptation, God gives us two gifts. Warren Wearsby once said it this way, in every temptation, God sets a limit and God places an exit. Those are your two gifts that God always gives you when you're tempted, a limit and an exit. Where does that come from? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above what you are able to bear. Do you see it? There's the limit. Say the limit. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You say, oh, pastor, the temptation was too much for me. God said it wasn't. God promised it would never be. You hear me? God will put a limit. He will not let you be tempted above what, you can, what you're able. If the temptation was too great from you, it's because you missed the exit. Because one of the ways God allows you to bear up under temptation is he makes a way for you to get away from the temptation. That's the last part of the verse. With the temptation will also make the way of escape. The way of escape is always built into the temptation. Anytime you're tempted, there is an exit. There's never a temptation without a door on it. Do you hear me? There is never a temptation without a door for you to exit it. You can always get out of the temptation. You can. You have to find the exit. Many of us, though, it's like driving down the interstate. We see that little sign that says, Mobile, next five exits. Well, if you drive by all five exits, guess where you're not going? <laughs> and many of us end up in sin and temptation because we miss the exits we don't get off of the, whenever we should we don't leave the situation fast enough we don't end the conversation soon enough we don't log off the computer in time we don't remove ourselves from the relationship in time we don't take the exit that God placed for us 
We don't call on his name. We don't do something to get out of the situation. Oh, pastor, I'm strong. The Bible never says we're strong. The Bible says, assumes that we're not strong. And that's why the Bible says, flee from fornication. You're not strong enough to stand against that temptation. What are you to do? Get away from it. Run from it. Flee youthful lust, the Bible says. What does it mean? Run. Run away. Amen. If you've got someone who's trying to lure you into sin, the Bible is clear. Get away from them. They're not your friend. Cut ties. Burn the bridge. Oh, well, I'm going to help them. You're not going to help them if they drown you. Amen. Lord, help us. Oh, it's quiet and holiness, church. Mm. God's word is our weapon against temptation. Number five, God's word is our means of edification. Edify means to build up. An edifice is a building, right? And so to edify means to build up. God's word will build you up. It will strengthen you. It will encourage you. It will breathe life into you whenever you are downtrodden and discouraged. It is indispensable to our building up and growing in the things of God. Mark 4 says our salvation came by the word of God. The sower sows the seed. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, we grow spiritually by the milk of the word of God. John 8, 31 says we are set free by the word of God. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The Bible says in John 17, we are sanctified by the word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The only way you and I will be able to live a life that honors and pleases God and not get pulled down by the temptations and the distractions of this world is if we are spending time in God's Word for ourselves. It is important that we gather together around God's Word because so many people don't do anything with the Bible except when they're gathered together in a Bible study or a church setting. Well, then you really need to be in the house of God every time the doors are open. But I want to tell you, there are things God wants to say to you. There are issues God wants to address in you. There are promises God wants to whisper to you. And they only come if you open God's Word for yourself. In between services, outside of church time, and you're spending time in the pages of God's Word. Don't tell me you want God to speak to you with your Bible sitting closed on your nightstand. No, you don't. If you want God to speak to you, swipe off the Facebook app and open up the Bible app and God, will, will you'll hear His voice. His voice is in His Word. He'll speak. He'll encourage. He'll build up. He'll edify if you'll get in the pages of His Word. But you'll never get free or stay free unless you spend time in the Word. And if you'll never live a holy life without the assistance of God's Word. God's Word is like a brain bath. Whenever you open God's Word and you begin to read it, it washes over your heart. And it's like you can feel the lies being pushed out. You can feel all the other debris of the day going away. When you open God's Word and begin to read it out loud, something in your heart engages with the Holy Spirit and He helps you. God's Word is that for us, a means of edification. Number six, it is a defense against deception. We've talked about the coming of the Lord a lot lately in our services. One of the things Jesus said would happen in the last days is that many people would be deceived by false teaching. That's what Jesus predicted. The Bible tells us that. Jesus said unless the, those days were shortened, even the very elect would be deceived. Paul tells Timothy in the last days, people will not want to endure sound doctrine, but they will give place to false teachers and they will be led astray. The entire book of 2 Timothy is all about this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he tells him, be diligent to present yourself approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth but shun profane and idle babblings which lead to more ungodliness. Over in chapter 3, he says, we read this a moment ago, continue in the things you've learned and heard and been assured of. Continue in them, but know who you received them from, that from the childhood you've known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, he gives his strongest words to Timothy and says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge both the living and the dead, that is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? Because the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They will turn aside from the truth and be turned unto fables, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 
The Word of God had to be central for Timothy and it has to be central for us. I'm thankful to be part of a church where we stand for the whole Bible rightly divided. We judge everything in light of God's Word. That's the standard for us. Every prophetic word, every spirit, every doctrine, every method, we try to filter it through the Word of God. Isaiah 8 and 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this Word, there is no light in them. We live in a day where everybody right now claims to have heard something from the Lord. How do you know if they're telling the truth or not? God's Word is the filter that you've put everything through. This is the sieve that you test everything by. You hold fast to what is good. You reject what is not true. But God's Word will teach you how to detect truth from error. Someone asked an FBI agent one day, they said, how much counterfeit money do you have to study in order to be able to identify counterfeit money? And he replied, none. None. Our agents don't study counterfeit money. He said our agents only study real money. And they study it so closely that they can spot a fake the moment it hits their hands. They're so familiar with the real, they immediately spot the phony. If you will study God's Word deeply for yourself, you'll be like that. You'll be able to tell within a couple minutes when someone is preaching, what someone is saying on television, that article that you read, that word that they gave you. You'll be able to tell if it's true or not because you run it through the filter of God's Word. But that means and it assumes that you know God's Word for yourself. That you've had enough interaction with God's Word that you can tell funny money from the real deal. <laughs> that you can identify because you are deeply rooted and grounded in the Word of God for yourself. Lord, help us today. We've got to test every spirit. You log on Facebook lately and everybody under the sun has got a word that they've heard from the Lord or some dream that they've heard and they're posting their dream on Facebook and they're saying the craziest things. I don't know if this is from the Lord or not. I just want to share it. No, don't do that. If you don't know it's from the Lord, what are you sharing it for? Well, I just want to offer this earth, this up and let the church judge it. No, no, no. When I was growing up, if somebody had a prophetic word, they stood flat-footed and they said, I've heard from God and this is what God says. And if you trusted the character of that man and he walked with God, what he said would come to pass. Not a word of it would fall to the ground and it would happen. And that was a prophetic word. I don't know where this little namby-pamby, well, I think maybe I heard from the Lord came from. That's not what you read in the Old Testament. They stood and said, Thus saith the Lord. And they spoke the mind of God. And it was clear and it was true and it was spot on. And if you can't do that, then just be quiet. And don't offer it up. But if you've got a word from the Lord, it'll stand and it'll be true and it'll come to pass. Amen. But I want to tell you, anybody who tells you anything, I don't care what they dreamed, that could have been bad pizza for all you know. I don't care what they dreamed. I don't care what they saw. I don't care what they say. I don't care what, they, what voice whispered to them. Listen, to the law and to the testimony, if it does not agree with this, there is no light in them. This is the standard of truth. We judge everything by it. And if it doesn't pass through the filter of this, you don't receive it. Glory to God. Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Thank God for his word. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to be in doubt. We can know what God's will is because we know what God's word is. Amen? Amen. Lastly, and I close with this, God's word is the message of salvation. The Bible says, Ephesians 1.13, In him you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. John Wesley said it like this. I've never heard it any better. I'm a creature of the day passing through life like an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf till a few moments from now I am seen no more. I drop into an unchangeable eternity and I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach me the way. For this very end he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. One of my favorite hymn writers was Isaac Watts. He wrote At the Cross and many other beautiful hymns that you grew up singing in church. There's one hymn that is almost unknown to most people by him. 
yet it's probably one of my favorites that he wrote. And I pinned it, I put it in the front of my Bible that I preach from every Sunday because it's about the Word of God. Listen to what Isaac Watts said. I love this. Laden with guilt and full of fear, I fly to thee, my Lord, and not a glimpse of hope appears, but in thy written word, the volumes of my Father's grace does all my grief assuage. Here I behold my Savior's face in every page. This is the field where hidden lies the pearl of price unknown. That merchant is divinely wise who makes the pearl his own. Here consecrated water flows to quench my thirst of sin. Here a fair tree of knowledge grows. No danger dwells within. This is my favorite verse. This is the judge that ends the strife where wit and reason fail. My guide to everlasting life through all this gloomy veil. Oh, may thy counsels, mighty God, my roving feet command. Nor I forsake the happy road that leads to thy right hand. When in doubt, just stay between the pages of God's word and do what it says. It will never lead you astray. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Stand with me all over God's house. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I... I'm not a Christian. I've never trusted Christ. I've never read the Bible. I don't know a lot about it. Listen to me today. One writer put it this way. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Its teachings are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you food to support you and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. It is the pilot's compass. It is the soldier's sword. It is the Christian's character. Here is paradise restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good is its design, and the glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for all eternity. If you've never trusted Christ, let this Word of God lead you to the Word of God made flesh, Jesus, who died and rose again for you. And He'll save you by His grace today. Listen to me today. We take the Bible seriously at the hill. That's why we want you to come and be in worship with us. That's why we want you to come on Wednesdays to Bible study. That's why we want you to sign up for growth groups. A few moments ago, we showed you the video of the new study that we're starting, Mark Batterson's study called Whisper. It's all about how to hear and discern the voice of God, how to tell when you're hearing from God and when you're not. It's a great study. It's a great gift for believers. We want you in. We want you to join us around God's Word. Because we believe God's Word is one of the greatest gifts He gave us that has the power to change our lives, to transform our hearts, and to help us know that we're hearing Him rightly. Camp, on campus Bible studies, we meet on Wednesday morning, senior adult study at 10 o'clock right here in this room. We meet on Wednesday night. We're calling it Wednesday night Sunday school since our Sunday school classes haven't been able to meet. Wednesday night at 6.30 in this room, we've been walking through the Word of God. We're closing out a study on the book of Revelation this Wednesday night. Then we'll start a new study the next week. Amen. Come and join us. Pastor Randy is teaching in his Tough Topics class on Wednesday night. Shay is leading a women's Bible study in the, in the Ed building. Our youth, our college, our children, they all meet on Wednesday night at 6.30. Come and join us. Join us. Get in God's Word. Let it impact your heart and life. So listen, one of the ways we grow is we get open to God addressing us through His Word. A second way we grow is we get honest with a small group of people who are studying God's Word with us together. Remember that mirror I talked about? Sometimes I can see myself. Sometimes I need somebody to hold the mirror up just right for me to see what I can't see on my own. Sometimes I need to be part of a small group of believers who love me enough to say, Hey, bro, I think you missed a spot. <laughs> to hold up God's Word and help me see what I don't see on my own. A small group will do that for you. A growth group is a place where you can do life with a group of Christians who will help you 
connect with God's Word and help you address and navigate things in your own life. Join one of those today. How do you do that? You can do it online. You can do it on the app. You can step into the gym at the end of the service right through here, and somebody will help you sign up for a group. Um, you can call that number on the screen. That's our office number next week. and Sign up. We'll sign you up for a group. They meet all over the place. We've got them in Sarah Land, Sims, Westmobile. We've got one meeting here on campus. There's a way for you to plug in. On Sunday, every other Sunday night, we meet with our groups. We're starting a new semester not in two weeks, the night of the 13th. I meet with my leaders next week, then we start the 13th. It's a great study. Don't miss it. Not all of the leaders or host homes are the same as they were last time. So just because you were in a group last time doesn't mean that group is the same this time. So I need everybody to sign up and see what's available and what's out there. If you want to join online, you can do that. Several of our groups are hybrid groups. We're meeting in person, but we're also going to put up our phone and put it on Facebook Live, and you can hop on and join us that way. Whether you're comfortable being in person or online, we just want you to join us. We want you to meet. Just like this morning, whether you're comfortable being in the room or joining us online, let's gather around God's Word. Let's take it seriously. Let's grow in our faith in Christ. Let me ask you today, is the Bible priority for you in your life? If you want to grow in Christ, listen to me, there's just no way around it. There is no shortcut. Say that with me. There is no shortcut. Shay and I started a few months back trying to uh, get our lives under control health-wise again, watching what we're eating and exercising and doing things a little better. We're trying wearing suits I haven't worn in a while. I'm enjoying that. Seems to be helping. But every time you get on, somebody always has a shortcut so that you can avoid the basics and still get where you want to go. You notice that? And you know what else? They don't work. And if they do work, they only work for a minute and then you end up right back where you were. Because there is no substitute for just the basic disciplines that we have to do if we're going to get better. I don't care what program you sign up for. It's going to say the same thing if it works. You can't eat Cheetos, Krispy Kreme, and McDonald's and be healthy. You can't not move it around very often and be able to move it at all in a few years. You hear me? There's some things you just have to get right. Can I tell you the Christian life is just like that? There's some basics like being in God's house, praying, being in God's Word, serving others and sharing your faith with others, giving to the kingdom. Those disciplines of the faith are basic, but you don't ever outgrow them. You've always got to be doing them. And the moment you stop, you start stagnating and you start backing up and you start losing ground in your spiritual life. Is the Word of God a priority for you? I hope it is. Take hold of instruction for she is your life, the Proverbs writer says. I believe that. Bow your head with me today. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. This message, I don't know a lot about the Bible. It really doesn't connect with me. Can I tell you today, the reason you struggle with the Bible is because you've never met the author. Today, the Lord Jesus is in this room and He longs for you to have a relationship with God. And you can. But there's a few things from the Bible you've got to know. Number one, you've got to know that you were a sinner. You've broken God's word, His law. You've broken His heart. And you have sinned against Him. And that sin has created a separation between you and God. Second thing you've got to know is that you could never bridge that gap. So God took the initiative and did it for you. By sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross in your place. And rising from the dead to prove that, the, that it was done and accepted. And the third thing you've got to know is this. If you want to be saved rescued from your sins, you must trust Jesus as your personal Savior. And you must ask Him to forgive you of your sins and you must invite Him into your heart and life. And you must trust Him, believe that He is who He says He is, the Son of God, the Savior, the Lord and Master. And you must commit the rest of your life to Him and say, Lord, if you'll forgive me of my sin, I surrender my life to you and I'll follow you with all the grace you give me for the rest of my life. You have to mean that with your heart and trust in Him as Savior and ask Him to save you and commit your future to Him unreservedly. And if you'll do that, He'll save you and you can become God's child today. And when you do that, your heart will be born again 
And then all of a sudden, the Bible will start to make a lot more sense to you because you will have met the author and the Spirit who wrote it will help you understand it. And you'll begin to grow in the Word of God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian, but I need to be. Would you pray for me today? Would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me. That's me. I need to be saved. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm a believer, but boy, I've really been struggling lately spiritually. Can I ask you today, how's your intake of God's Word? Let me ask you what a good doctor would ask you. How's your diet? Are you feeding on God's Word? And if you're not, can I ask you today to make a fresh commitment to say, Pastor, I am promising today, and I want you to pray for me that I'll, that I'll hold true to this. I'm going to be faithful today to have a steady intake every day of God's Word. I want you to try that for this week and see what a difference it makes in your life. Would you make that commitment? Pastor, I will interact with God's Word every day this week. Are you here? Saying, yes, Lord, I'll make that. I'll make that commitment. It'll help you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, several. Yeah. You'll be amazed at the difference in your spiritual health if you'll take in God's Word. You let me pray for us? Father, in Jesus' name, I love you and thank you. And I pray today, Lord God, for those who've gathered, many who are struggling with depression and loneliness, some who are fighting against temptation and besetting sins that don't seem to want to let go of them. Lord, others today are just struggling to hear your voice and needing encouragement for their heart. But Father, whatever the need is today, I pray that we would learn to hear your voice in your word. And that, Lord, we would become people who are deeply committed to our Bibles because we are deeply convinced that God will meet us there and speak to us by His Spirit in the pages of His Word. Lord, may you find us there every day and may we grow by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, I pray for your people that you would seal this Word to their heart. And I pray that more than anything else, you'd give us a hunger and an appetite for the Word of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, give the Lord a hand of praise today. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to help us with our Louisiana project, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can give. Offering receptacles are at the door. You can give online uh, as well. Drop it by the office if that's easier for you. You can also bring some drinks Wednesday when you come back to church. You can do that. Uh, you can sign up to go and serve on a team. You can do that as well. Any of that would be helpful to us as we serve the people in Louisiana. Amen. I urge you. Remember, Tuesday night is our dream team rally. If you're a volunteer, want to see you at 630. Wednesday morning is the senior adult Bible study at 10 o'clock. David Mills will be teaching that in here. 630 Wednesday night. All of our classes are meeting on campus. I think that normally have met children, youth, uh, in the Ed building, the adult Bible studies, and the Sunday school classes are sort of meeting here. We're going through God's Word together. Join us for that. Let's get deep in the Word of God. Amen. Would you receive this blessing from the Lord before we go? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift His countenance upon you and grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And His people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you Tuesday or Wednesday. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.